1: Good afternoon, everyone.
2: This is Naisha Gadani coming to you from Melbourne. And today is 184th episode of Career Care Package. And on today's episode, we are talking about resilience, how to build a resilience, how to have a career resilience as well. To help us this interesting and very seasonal topic of resilience, uh, we have invited Catherine Jackson. She's written a book called Resilience at Work. Practical tools on how to build resilience, and she's a really a great expert on talking about about resilience. I think we have all been tested our resilience in last seven to eight months. You know, isolation, not being able to go out of more than five kilometers to to, you know, searching for toilet papers, uh, to searching for somebody to have coffee with. And just in a very, very different ways, our resilience has been tested. And it is, uh, you know, at and, and the same time, I should also add that there are hundreds of people or thousands of people who are still struggling, and their resilience are still being tested every day. And that's what we are here for, you know, to talk about and unpack this and give you some practical ideas and strategies of how you can also build resilience. Before we start to speak to Catherine, let's welcome and speak to Caroline Brown.
0: Thanks, Nesh. Fantastic to be here. I've just got a message from Balan saying the video is not showing. I'm not sure if that's still the case, Balan, if you could let us know, maybe it's I'll check that out. Internet connection. Connection is varying in different places, but assuming that it is, resilience is such an important topic and we've all been through the ropes this year in many different ways. Um, You know, normally we discuss stress at work and being resilient around that, but this has tested everybody. So really delighted to have you join us today, Catherine. Oh, it's absolutely, it's a pleasure to be here. I think, you know, globally, we have this
1: sort of shared experience of chronic stress. Um, You know, when we look at how we've all been trying to navigate um, our own well-being, the well-being of people we love, um, as well as um, navigate careers and and jobs in a world that is just, you know, occasionally rather bonkers.
0: (laughs) Occasionally? Absolutely. So I guess a great place to give some context for our discussion is um, for you to let people know about the work that you actually do
1: yeah sure so i like to think of myself as more of a resilience professional as opposed to a resilience expert um, and i think there's a real um re- there's a there's a very particular reason for that and um, so my own journey with resilience began accidentally back in 2010 here in christchurch new zealand um, and so prior to 2010, I had really given resilience a second thought, to be honest. It was, you know, life just had its ups and downs and somehow I managed to navigate them um, and and, and keep going and and enjoying a really great um, and adventure-filled life. And and all of that changed in 2010 when obviously out of the blue we experienced the start of a very, very significant um, wave of earthquakes in the city. And so from a personal perspective, um, I was impacted, um, you know, sort of physically in that we lost our home and, and had to um, to find somewhere new to live because the village where we lived was, was zoned as red, which meant you weren't able to rebuild there. Um, but professionally I was impacted because suddenly it was my role um, to translate, I guess, between the academic professionals, so the real resilience experts that kind of Landed into the city to study resilience and to actually understand what was the difference between somebody who simply survives stress, extreme, acute, un you know un, um, unexperienced stress, and um, and somebody who thrives in those situations, and um, and so it was I was so lucky to work with organisations like the Red Cross New Zealand, uh, resilient organisations and other academic research firm, uh, the New Zealand Institute. well-being and resilience and so i was kind of um i guess working with them to learn from them and then translate what we were learning live into really practical things that my clients could do um, in order to deliberately design well-being and therefore resilience into their lives Um, so that was kind of my i guess whirlwind um, exposure to the need for
0: resilience Mm. I guess it's extraordinary isn't it I mean there's an event like an earthquake and losing your home and everybody else suffering around what did you I'm sure this is a how long a piece of string type question but what did you learn about resilience and you know what what is it and how do people survive those sorts of things and, and move on from them
1: yeah, lovely. So, you know, one of the one of the biggest learnings for me personally was that we are all stronger than we think we are, um, and we can think that we are in um, sort of chronic stress and and feel the pressure build up and build up and think we're not going to be able to cope. But the majority, as you know, the research seems to indicate, the majority of us, I think about ninety percent of us, will actually do okay. It doesn't mean it will be easy, um, but um, the majority of us will come through. And many of us may come through stronger. So we learned um, in the city about a concept called post-traumatic growth. Um, And again, that is something that, you know, I I would love more of us to have an understanding of so that we can see life stress and pressures as something to grow from. And I think one of your um, questions there was around, you know, key takeaways for me personally. Um, You know, I I learned very much that we all have a different start with resilience, so you know, for some of us, um, you know, we're naturally op- optimistic and we like to look for the the positives, the hopefulness, search for the good things. For some of us, that doesn't come quite so simple, but it's a really, really important part of resilience. So if it's something that you struggle with, um, then perhaps it's an area, a place to start, um, so that you can grow. Your, ability to um, to to do that and uh, because yeah. the third piece of resilience that i really took from my experience is that all of us can nurture something called adaptive resilience so yeah. no matter what our start point is uh, we can all do very very specific things um, to
0: become stronger in a world that is very very pear-shaped
1: yeah.
0: And what's the definition? Is there a cl- one classic definition of resilience that, or a, a useful definition that you apply? it's so
1: funny, I think this is where even the academics disagree. Um, There are so many definitions out there and I think personally that this is one of the reasons why resilience has become a little bit of a Marmite word, you know, you either love it or you hate it. Um, And it's kind of, I think it's quite a misunderstood concept. And so what I always invite readers or listeners to do is to learn what they can about resilience and create their own definition so for me personally it's about resilience is what i have when i can navigate the plot twists of life confidently and move forwards with hope mm. so that's the definition that i have created there's an element of um of, of humanity in there and vulnerability and realizing that life will give you downs as well as ups mm. the secret to resilience is noticing the ups because we've mm. got a, a, a tendency to kind of gloss over those or ignore them and fixate on the bad stuff and mm. um, you know resilient people um acknowledge that there will be bad stuff so um you know that just happens it doesn't mean there's anything personal that just that's part of life and mm-hmm. and resilience is about being optimistic and hopeful for the future and mm-hmm. and so regardless of how bad things are now finding a sense of meaning and purpose in what lies ahead mm-hmm. sounds like a very workable definition i'm all about workable if it's not practical then i'm not interested <laughs>
2: Yeah, really. Okay. And uh, Balin, thanks. You know, it's good to know that the video is sh- uh, showing now. You know, Catherine, when I was in India during the lockdown, right, you know, I was quite we were quite fortunate to stay with my parents, and uh, you know, we were not s- stranded in a hotel or anywhere else that we had to worry about our well-being or looking after ourselves. But as I would, you know, it was peak summer in India. You know, forty degrees every day. And as I would go into the backyard, I would see, I would see, my, you know, you know, laborers who would walk hundreds of kilometers to go to their home because the the bus, the train, flights, everything stopped. Like, yeah. you know, it came to a grinding halt. And there was one particular story when I think she would have been the girl would have been 15, 16 year old, and she cycled around fifteen hundred kilometers with uh, her father who was disabled and moved from uh, northern part of india to kind of southern uh, you know east uh, part of india 16 1700 kilometers and it, is, you know, it was just mind boggling to see how much courage and resilience that she would have my question is is this something that we are we are fundamentally not aware of how much resilient we are and, and we only become aware when we are tested in these circumstances uh, or, or do we have a glimpse of our resilience before that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, what you're describing there with that story is somebody who clearly has the most incredible mental strength as well as physical strength um, to be able to achieve those things. And, and so what I what I personally like about um, resilience definitions now is that we're realising that it's, it's a really, um, there's, a, there's a very specific growth. Of um, capabilities that we can focus on growing. So, you know, you heard there about the mental strength. So, you know, somebody um, that you know may have really good mental strength, but perhaps poor physical strength. So again, it's about noticing. You know, what are your own strengths, and then where might you need to invest? For me personally, when I was researching um, for writing my book, and um, um, which is used all a- around the world now, I was um, absolutely blown away when it became a finalist for best international business book in London. And the reason I'm sharing that, yeah, absolutely. And the reason I'm sharing that is, you know, so you know it's credible. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's really, it's actually really. Easy to write a book these days, but I, I really believe uh, passionately that I shouldn't be writing a book unless I can provide evidence and research to show that what I'm saying in my book is actually going to make a difference. Um, and so, the, the five key areas that we focused on were um, were mental well-being, um, spiritual well-being, physical well-being, social well-being, and intellectual well-being. So, this is about making sure that when we think about resilience it's almost like an equation if you have a strong base of those five types of well-being then by definition you'll be resilient Um, if you have neglected your social connections for example and you find yourself with kind of um you know not, not too many friends or you've withdrawn and you're kind of connected but everything's online which is a whole different topic um Actually, the chances of you being your most resilient self is actually quite low. So, um, so what I love to ask myself every week. So, I've anchored something that I call Wellbeing Wednesday, um, and so I ask myself these questions. You know, how much time have I invested in my social connectedness this week? You know, how am I feeling? Am I having a good week or a not such a good week? And if I'm having a not such a good week, and I might be feeling a bit down or a bit tired. why? What are some of the things that I'm doing or not doing or facing in life that might be impacting that? And I ask myself, what have I done to nurture myself spiritually? Now, for some people, um, that is a, um, it's a faith-based, um, activity. And um, for some people, it's a meaning or purpose-based activity. And um, for others, it might be getting out in nature um, and connecting with, um, you know, a world that is, is, you know, been here for a lot longer than we have. Um, and I ask myself, you know, what have I done to grow and invest in my own, um, physical wellbeing? So have I been for a run? Running is my thing, Um, but it's not everybody's thing. So what's your thing and what are you doing every week to invest in it? Um, Because what we know about resilience is that you have to invest in these buckets of well-being regularly so that when you need to be resilient, they're already as full as possible. If you let them get empty. And something big happens and then your start point as is much is, is going to be a lot harder to come back for. Um, does that does that make sense?
2: Yes, it does. It does absolutely make sense. Um, we've got a question uh, from Balin, um, a comment. I personally feel that people from poor financial or family backgrounds are more resilient as they continue to face pressure each and every day to survive. Is it is it a very generalized statement because you know, a lot of, you know, in a lot, lot of us, and I think probably, you know, given by the movie and the drama and the series that we watch, watched, that somebody who comes from a disadvantaged background naturally is resilient. Are there any, you know, research or is it more like just because that person has faced a disadvantage at a very early, uh, yeah. you know, age, they are bound to be resilient? Or is it just a myth? What do you think?
1: What do I think? So so I think it's really complicated. And I think, you know, what I love about that comment that your listener has made is that it, it's almost the opposite of what lots of other people say, which is, you know, if I don't have financial security, I can't possibly be resilient. And so I think what that what those two really diametrically opposed comments highlight um, is that actually it's more about the mindset and the personality of the person involved. Now, I don't specialise in understanding the the financial resilience piece simply because financial resilience isn't something that became a factor in the research in Christchurch and so what we what we found from the research that I was involved in understanding um, was that it didn't really play a factor and that it was actually much more about the investment that you make in your own um, physical spiritual um, you know mental social and um Whatever the fifth one is that I've missed out, um, well-being. Those, I because <laughs> I say them so often, so um, so it's very much about making sure that you're investing in those. And um, what I love about what your caller has just shared is I think that we are really impacted by culture and by the people around us, and um, and so you know culturally what that might mean is that if you grow up in a family with lots of money but you have uh, but you're surrounded by people who have a very resilient approach so they look after themselves they nurture themselves they overcome obstacles and they look forwards you're going to have probably a fairly similar outlook compared to someone who's grown up in an environment with very little money but who's been surrounded by parents or relatives who are very positive and who look at obstacles as you know things to be overcome and with positive mental outlook so I think you know it's a really great question so whoever asked that thank you.
0: Catherine is it how do we develop the resilience muscle because I, I, you know from what you're saying that you know people with generally those buckets that sort are of full perhaps bounce back and cope with um, setbacks and U-turns more. Yeah. Is it a matter of looking at those buckets and going, what's what's missing? Because I'd look at my life and I go, I I spend a lot of time at work, but then I I think, well, my my work has meaning and purpose in my life and for me, so it kind of might tick a couple of buckets. Um, you know, from I wouldn't say it's a spiritual calling or anything, but it it's important to me to make a difference in in what I do. So, how do you? I guess, what is, what's the sense that you're missing something, that, that all the buckets aren't where they should be, basically? Yeah, so I think the biggest clue is how are you feeling? So, you know, one of the um, most
1: important things I think that all of us can do is notice what we feel like on a good day and then anchor that feeling. So, you know, what, what, what does your brain say, you know, that inner self-talk that you have when you're having a really good day, what does that sound like? You know, how do you feel in your body when you're having a really good day? What kind of things do you do? Where does your focus go? And that way, what you can do is much quicker notice when you kind of tip from that. Um, And so, you know, some exercises that sometimes um, we've done with people are things like growing emotional literacy. So, keeping an emotions diary, for example, or journaling, or, you know, noticing where your head's at, finding a buddy that you can talk to on the way home at night um, and just share how you're doing and what kind of day you've had so that you can kind of um, sense check where, where, you're at and because once you've anchored that point then you can notice more quickly if you're not having such a good day. And then you can ask yourself those questions that you just did, Carolyn, around, you know, where which bucket might be missing right now and which bucket might I need to be investing in. Um, I do, I run a resilience program. And what I do is um, I get people to kind of um, build some homework through six webinars. And what that helps them to do is what I call the three E's of resilience, understand the three E's of resilience. So when you write the word resilience, you've got three E's so I thought that was kind of cool to work with. Um, So the first E is evidence. So what evidence do I notice in my mind, in my body, in my output, how I'm feeling and functioning? What evidence that I'm having a good day or not so good day? The second E is empower. So how can I make sure that I understand the science of well-being? in enough sort of detail that i know what to do um, when i notice that i'm not having such a good day and then the third e is embed so how do i make sure i check in with myself really regularly not just when things go south (laughs) Um, so i'm noticing um, on a regular basis how I'm doing. Um, and so what that can prevent us doing is what I call sleepwalking into a well-being issue. Um, you know, most of the time we're hurtling through our lives. And, um, you know, the science would suggest that about 80 to 85% of the time we know we're about to make a decision. That's not a good one. You know, when you're like, Oh, they've sent that person sent me an email. I know it's going to be a really shitty one, um, but I'm going to open it anyway, just before I go to bed. Um, And then we open the email, we read it and then we don't sleep. And then we get really cross the next day because we've not slept. And so it's this whole kind of cycle of, you know, just tuning in to the choices that we're making. And if we can anchor it and embed it into our Daily, weekly, monthly activities, then we we run less of a risk of sleepwalking into
0: a chronic issue. I think there's a lovely way of putting it because, um, you know, yeah, you do go through periods of your life where you go, What was I thinking? or What was I feeling? and why was I there? (laughs) and sometimes you don't even know, you know, um, until uh, until something goes wrong. What have you noticed during COVID? Oh, sorry. Sorry.
1: I was just going to add because I know that one of your questions was around the importance of relationships and connecting. Mm. And I think, Carolyn, that really highlights the importance of having at least one good friend. Mm. You know, there's some, some fascinating research that came out of the States kind of in the 1980s that showed that, um, you know, the typical American has about five really close friends. And so that a close friend is someone you could find at 3 a.m. and say, help. Um, but mm. by the 90s, that had decri- decreased to, to one friend, you know, yeah. and I would be really. Really interested. This study hasn't been redone, but I would love to know, um, you know, what that's become now. Because I have a horrible suspicion that many of us don't have such good friends anymore that we could call on. Um, and so, what we need is somebody who can be brave enough and kind enough to say, "Catherine, you don't see yourself right now. Mm. You know how can I help you?" And mm. rather than you know what we see in workplaces, which is people just not wanting to talk about it, um, mm. or, you know, not knowing what to say. So, the more of us that can become comfortable with with talking about well being, and um, the more mm. we
0: can normalize it. Mm. I think it's interesting. I think that was perhaps the impact, big impact as well of COVID. Um, I know during lockdown, I really caused me to reflect on the strength of my friendships and mm-hmm. who you would routinely hear from and who you wouldn't, um, yeah. and why that was so important as well. Um, so, what what do you what did you notice? Or what what's the research said so far about the impact of of people, you know, lockdown and COVID and the stress? around the the pandemic yeah so i think it's really really early days to be perfectly honest in that space
1: but i will be watching it very very closely because obviously there's opportunities for me to grow my own programs even more when that research Mm. comes out and what i'm seeing so far seems to suggest what you might expect which is whatever you're feeling it's normal. Um, You know, some people found lockdown really exciting, because it gave them the opportunity to do things they've been meaning to do for a long time. Some people found lockdown terrible, um, because perhaps they were really disconnected from people they loved and cared about. Some people found lockdown truly terrible, truly, because they were locked down with people who they perhaps didn't feel safe with or who hurt them. Um, And so I think, you know, the reality of what we're noticing and this is I think the gift of COVID is that we are human beings who have emotional reactions to the world around us. Now, most organizations that I've been working with over here in New Zealand are really embracing that and are actually really stepping up and growing capability internally by doing things like um, training employees in psychological first aid, um, you know, looking at um, well-being through a completely different lens and sort of saying, actually, it's not just about sending someone on a mindfulness workshop and giving you fresh fruit and and water. (laughs) You know, it's actually a lot more than that. Um, but unfortunately, there are and will always be some companies who expect people to just come back and get on as if nothing happened. Um, you know, and that's okay for some people, but for some people it's just not possible. Um, and so I think you know, one of the really biggest pieces of um, research evidence that I would love to, to, to come out from this um, is that understanding that humans have emotions. And it is not possible to leave those emotions at the door when we walk into workplaces. But we do know already from the science of well-being that's been going on, you know, coming into our world for the last 15, 20 years, we know that we can all navigate the stresses that we experience in life better and differently using using the science of well-being.
2: Uh, yeah, if you've got questions for Catherine, please uh, drop that in the LinkedIn live chat and we'll take that up with Catherine. Then one of the, uh, you know, question or situation that I found myself in uh, last weekend and this weekend when my six-year-old, uh, sorry, eight-year-old first got out on playing cricket on the third ball of the match and it ended up costing me $10 because I had to buy a Mac chicken for him just to make sure that he is you know, happy, but it took half an hour yesterday when India, uh, you know, won against Australia in the last over and he spent half an hour crying. So there was a moment, like there's a parenting moment for me to teach him about Mm -hmm. that things do happen, things go wrong and, you know, you can only control what you can, right? But I ended up, uh, you know, you know, making him great about give, you know by giving him an ice cream or chocolate or something to to make sure that he shuts up. But in a in an adult situation, when you are you know in an office or anywhere else, you you know you know as an as an observer, you can you can see or I can see that this person lacks resilience because he or she has applied to hundred jobs and they're not getting responses or they've approached many people not getting responses as they expect. they're experiencing this failure Mm -hmm. how do you start the conversations around around those because you know it could be mental toughness but you know essentially they they are not able to see uh you know they're not able to hold their loss or feeling rejected in a proper way you know they're taking it personally too personally sometimes as well how would you strike a conversation with them what would you what would you tell them to you know to, to really help them, you know, sail through this difficult situation?
1: Yeah, so I, I think I heard a number of different things in there, Nash, and I'll just make sure make sure I try and answer all of them. And so I think you know the, the first thing was the learning moments piece, and you know making sure that when we spot learning moments with our youngsters, and um, we try and do so. And I've also got a Mr. Eight, um, and it was him who came up with the idea of plot twist. And um, you know we actually we'd made this um, we'd made this plan to go to his favorite restaurant for his birthday. This was probably going back two years, and. Um, And when we got to his favourite restaurant for his birthday, it was actually closed. And you know that parent thing when you just think, oh, my God, this is going to be a disaster. And he turned to me and he said, plot twist. Um, And I thought, oh, my God, that is exactly what we need when we're looking at growing resilience in our youngsters. He said, now we get to go and try somewhere completely new, Mum, and have a different type of adventure. And so, you know, that, the more we can do of that with our kids, the better, and there is some amazing research in this space. So the New Zealand Institute for Wellbeing and Resilience, where I work, um, they have got a lot of work. Their, Their big focus is on academics and schools and and growing um, uh, information in that space. So if you're listening to the show and you want to find out more, please do check out their resources. they also contributed to a site called Sparklers over here in New Zealand. Um, and that again has got some really great resilience resources for kids. And so remember that, you know, we've had the experience of a generation really, 10 years worth of, you know, kids who've grown up in earthquake environment. Um, you know, and not just a little earthquake environment, but you know, hundreds of thousands of massive aftershocks that, you know, send you running under the desk and that kind of stuff. So, um, so you know, kids with sort of really big issues Now, that's again that's not my area of specialism but that's definitely where I always go for my my um, hints and tips when we're talking about people in workplaces you know I think the first thing that's really important to acknowledge is that we are in a really difficult world for job searching right now and um, you know so all of the pep talks in the world um you know you've got this keep going <laughs> um, you know that's really probably going to just annoy some people. And And stress them out even more Um, and so for me the key word I always come back to is flexibility so you know when you're applying and getting rejected and applying and getting rejected and applying and getting rejected the question I would ask is what are you doing differently each time so you know what are you learning from each of these rejections and I don't mean phoning up and saying can you give me some feedback because when you say that We've all been there. You get told, well, while well, you were one of the strong ca- candidates, I'm afraid there were two other candidates that better met our requirements. And on this occasion, you've been unsuccessful. You know, we've all been there. You have a list of very specific questions, like "And um, what did the successful candidate have on their CV that was missing from mine? Or what advice would you have for me if I was to reapply for this job in five months' time? So that way, we're getting much more specific
0: um, information. I love that. I think, um, you know, that bit of a cult of positivity and all of the messaging that you see all over the place can actually have, I, I, it lightens what is, I, I don't think we have great words for our emotions. And so sometimes when I see you know, just be happy type thing, I'm like, I don't even know what happiness meant, What well, happiness really means and and what Internet. does just be
2: happy mean? Connection. Oh, sorry, sorry what No, because no, we lost. No, no, no. We, we all, we all were gone from the screen. I think that was due to some technical glitch. We are all back we're, and on now. Please. We're back.
0: We're back. Yeah. Not no, please. I think, um, just that. Do you, I? I guess my question really is, you know, we do see a lot of that. Be happy. Be positive. You know, smallest yeah. journey starts one step. And sometimes, um, I, I find it a bit annoying, really, because it kind of trivializes what, you know, the things that are holding people back are often much darker and deeper than, than, you know, what gets put out there. So, um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think, so my thoughts on positive emotions
1: versus negative emotions. So notice mm. I'm saying positive, negative, rather than good mm. and bad. So, um, so, Emotions are simply a message that your brain is sending you about the world around you. So wow. Carolyn, you be expecting a phone call from someone who's about to have a baby and I might be expecting a phone call from a really, really cross client. So oh. when the phone rings, you will have a completely different emotional response to me, even oh. though the trigger is exactly the same. So there's, you know, so it's a very, very personal experience, but oh. the science shows us that when we have, positive emotional rea- re- sort of responses, our body changes biochemically. So we become flooded with emotion, uh, sorry, with biochemicals like dopamine, oxytocin, mm. serotonin, endorphin. These these chemicals protect us. So they literally help us to stay healthy. So there mm. is really strong correlation with people who experience positive emotional state and um, close relationships. Mm. Um, being able to um, stay well, um, you know, even success at work. And you know, if you think mm-hmm. about the office tiggers versus the office eels and how far they tend to go in <laughs> their careers, you know. So, so actually, there is a really strong medical reason for aiming for the positive. Mm-hmm. However. And, you know, it's really important, as you say, to remember that life's not all blue sky, fluffy clouds. And so Mm -hmm. noticing the negative is really important, too. But I think, you know, noticing and understanding and remembering that our brain has a has a negativity bias. So Mm -hmm. we're hardwired to notice negative emotions and they linger longer. So Mm -hmm. we kind of you know, if you feel sadness, you usually feel sadness for a lot longer than if you feel happiness, for example. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, some of the really cool things that we can do, and they're all free, um, is, you know, print yourself off an emotions words list and <clears throat> start to grow your emotional literacy so you don't just have limited words. I, mm-hmm. I once ran a um, an emotional uh, workshop for um, for people in the construction industry, which was absolutely brilliant, and an engineer, an, an engineer came up to me at the start of the workshop, and he said, "Look, I'm sorry, but this is BS. Um, I'm an engineer. I'm either happy or sad. And I'm a patient." <laughs> And, and so, um, so I'll just be at the back of the room. I won't be disruptive, but I won't really be engaged. And so I said, that's fine. And and so we we ran this workshop. And by the end of it, I could see him like shutting his computer down. And then he started listening. And anyway, by the end of it, he came over to me and he said, Well, I had no idea that there were so many. That emotions were so complicated. You know, we could feel depth two at the same time. You know. And then, you know Sometimes anger actually is something else, but it presents it as anger. Um, and sometimes we can have, like, five emotions in one go or we can feel happy about something but then scared or, you know. So there's all sorts of um, really kind of amazing recognitions that he had. And so so just literally go to your mental wellbeing sites in whatever country you're listening to and and find an emotions word list that resonates for you. Um, There is one on my website. um, And the reason that I designed one is because, like our language, most emotion word lists are negatively biased. So you'll see that there's lots of words for negative emotions and not so many words for positive emotions. So I've tried to kind of make a slightly more balanced one. Um, and so, um, so, so notice your emotions, find words for them, practice talking about them out loud. You, these are all things that we can do. And then when you find yourself having a negative emotion, um, challenge yourself. You know, make sure that you're having, you're telling yourself the truth. Um, and so play with that um, and make it interesting to learn about your emotions
0: sorry about that i dropped out
2: there we That's just okay. had a plot twist. <laughs> That's like we twist we just had a plot Total twist plot twist. Uh, <laughs> plot twist is a great uh, great you know we are going to use that uh, you know often now because that because it's it's so relatable, right? You know, as, you, as as we are watching a mysterious movie, or thriller, and suddenly we didn't realize, oh God, this was the guy. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize. That. So, so that that's amazing. Um, you know, Catherine, I, I don't have any more questions uh, for you. Caroline, do you have any no, more questions? Just,
0: but it's been absolutely fascinating um, to to listen to you today, Catherine. Because, I mean, I, I associate resilience and wellbeing with a whole bunch of other things other than, you know, what, what you've spoken about and, you know, the fact that it's research-based and um, I, I think that's been really, really interesting and I'm sure everybody else has found it very interesting as well. What would be, just to finish off and, and leave people with say maybe a takeaway, what would be your top three tips for injecting a dose of or, or building that resilience muscle that people could do straight away? Yeah, building that resilience muscle. I think the first thing that everybody can do is really get
1: comfortable with noticing where you're at. Um, mm-hmm. So notice, notice what it feels like to be you on a good day. Mm-hmm. And if you if you find it really difficult to to do that. Um, maybe reach out for some support. So over here in New Zealand, we have a number that's available for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1737. Now, I think my, many of your callers are in Australia. So I wrote this number down, 131 114. That's your Lifeline Australia number that you can call again at any time of the day or night. Um, or alternatively, I think Beyond Blue seems to offer a really similar, um, similar support. So again, you know, if you notice that you're stuck and you're not, you can't remember when you had a really good day where you felt good and you functioned well, then then reach out for support. It's, it's, it's exactly what we would do if we noticed we had a, a, a weird mole, for hmm. example, we're all really well trained in the southern, in the, where are we? In our hemisphere. <laughs> oh, I'm quite <laughs> where I am sometimes. And so, you know. We're really well trained. If you spot something a bit weird in your moles or your freckles, go and get it checked out. This is exactly the same, but with our minds. So notice where your head's at. And if you can't remember the last time you experienced joy or happiness or love, um, you know, go and talk to somebody about that. Um, so that's the first thing, notice. The second thing I would um, recommend is that you nudge yourself. So nudge yourself regularly, just little tiny bite-sized things that you can do every day um, in order to support yourself to well-being. And so, again, if you go to my website, which is um, www.careerbalance.co.nz, on the front page there, there's a poster that you can download um, that helps you to do this, notice your headspace. And then there's some strength-based strategies to help you fill up those really important buckets. Um, And then the third thing um, that I would say to sort of stretch and grow your resilience muscle is to notice how strong you already are. Are. So as you reflect back on 2020, don't get sucked into other people's drama um, around how crap it's been. Um, you know, focus on questions like, how have you surprised yourself this year? Um, you know, what have you gained from this year that you're going to take with you to next year? You know, what are the skills, the resources, the, um, you know, the mindsets, the values? You know, what have, what's changed about you this year that you like and that you want? to take forward so those would be my my three key takeaways.
0: Absolute gold. Thank you so much for sharing them. Um, yeah and I'm sure everybody would gain great value from that.
1: awesome well please do reach I out. absolutely agree. Absolute pleasure. And please do reach out, connect with me um, on LinkedIn. And if you've got any um, sort of follow-up questions, I'm a, I'm a deep reflector. So often in the moment on these things, I can't think of things. And then afterwards, I think, oh, I should have asked her maybe. So, so mm-hmm. just send me a message. I'd love to hear from people um, mm-hmm. because this is a topic that I'm really passionate about because we can make a big difference
0: to ourselves and to other people around us if we know a bit more about it. Mm-hmm. And self-care is not selfish. It's absolutely uh, vital in this scenario. It's about time we gave ourselves a good hug and looked at <laughs> On that note?
2: absolutely fascinating to catch up uh, with you. And we've got Marin saying nice chat, uh, really inspiring as well. So we'll put the link to Catherine's website and her fabulous uh, book as well um so now for tomorrow we have got another author coming up he's coming from northern australia brisbane and his name is warren james and he's written a fantastic book called further faster and we are going to talk about career growth and how do you really get ahead in your career much faster than you can think of so join us tomorrow same time 3 p.m and we are going to chat with warren james until that please stay safe stay happy look after yourself and yes we got more easing of restrictions in uh, victoria but please stay safe and look after yourself until that bye for now everyone
1: thank you Bye
2: thank you everyone for listening to the your career down under show hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to know more about how Your Career Down Under can help you, please reach out to us on www.yourcareerdownunder.com.au and if you have got a question about today's episode or if you want us to do a particular show on a particular topic, please reach out to us. We would love to do that. Until next time, be well.